Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. This week's episode is sponsored by Excel Moto, who have their Black November sales month. The entire November, there are gigantic sales across the range from Excel Moto. So I'll include the details in the written description below. Go and check them out though. All month they've got huge sales. Right, okay, let's get to it. It's Wednesday today. Just two days ago, I got back from a really unforgettable three and a half days at the Valencia MotoGP with Michelin. It was, I'll be honest, it was intense. It was non-stop. You know, I arrived from a 400 kilometer ride on Bonneville along the coast from Valencia. Oh, just glorious weather, 26 degrees. You know, the Bonneville's parked right outside the flat facing the sea. And I walked downstairs, put both panniers on it, and then just hit the road. I think I left at about 11.30 in the morning. And this motorway road, it hugs the coast pretty much for the entirety of the trip. So on the left-hand side, you've got the sea, just view of the sea for over four hours to get to Valencia. And on the right-hand side, you've got stunning mountain ranges all the way along. It's... I mean, Spain in general, it's just mind-blowingly stunning for biking, really stunning. So I had this three-day trip with Michelin and, you know, being Michelin, they treat you incredibly well. The food was ridiculously good, the accommodation amazing. And on the Saturday when I woke up, they had a lineup of nine effectively brand new motorbikes, all on a range of different tyres, Michelin power tyres. What a way to start a Saturday morning, you know, you had. And let me start with the big one, the one I was desperate to try. The Kawasaki ZH2. 1,000cc, 197 horsepower. Let me say 200 horsepower, just to make it sound cooler. 200 horsepower. Now, you probably know that absolute speed is of no real interest to me. However, I had to find out what it's like to ride a spaceship. That was the bike I was most keen to ride because I, it's almost just something I had to have in my life to experience 200 horsepower on a bike. I won't go into too much detail about, about each bike because the video's coming out on Thursday this week. But in essence, I got to try Ducati, BMWs, um, that Kawasaki on different tires. And it was fascinating to see the difference with these bikes. It's also fascinating to feel what character means, especially in these new bikes. I found that an eye-opening experience. You know, new bikes, they're all good, but it made me realize how important character is in a bike, that intangible thing, a bike that actually makes you feel something. That's incredibly important to me, to the way I ride. Um, the differences of opinions are also fascinating between different riders. Uh, video will be out tomorrow, so keep, keep an eye out for that because I'll go into a lot more detail. I've got too much stuff I want to touch upon now, but in essence, it was a fantastic trip. MotoGP Valencia, first one I've ever been to. Tens of thousands, maybe even a couple, maybe even you know, 100,000, that's pushing it, that's ridiculous. Tens of thousands of bikers just pouring in. We went in on a bus and just to see all of the different bikes just pouring in there, weaving through traffic as we were stuck, absolutely gridlocked. What I also loved is that it's a family event. So many of the bikers had, you know, their partners on the back and a decent chunk of bikers 
had you know, the five-year-old on the back with a, a specially adapted backrest or something so that child could sit on the back. It's just so great to see, you know, that, that biking with lifestyle, getting the family involved. It was a really brilliant event. Okay, let me get to the next point now. Royal Enfield. I watched a bit of this Instagram live. Um, I don't often get ludicrously excited by new bike launches. But this is different. Super Meteor, Royal Enfield. Think of the current Royal Enfield, but with the interceptor engine physically bigger, with the 650cc interceptor engine. And I saw them launching it at the Eichmachern Milan. It's a breathtakingly stunning bike. It's perfect. There's nothing I would change on it. It is completely perfect. It's a beautiful looking, uh, what can I describe it as? I mean, it's a cruiser. You know, you could almost think of it almost old school, kind of eight, what are they? 883 Harley Davidson Sportster or something. It's a really, really good looking bike. Um, let me just see if I've got any interesting facts because I was sent the, the marketing pack by Royal Enfield. Any interesting facts in here? Okay, so Super Meteor is the Solo Tora variant um, and it will be available in five different colours. Now, they've also got the Super Meteor Tora. Now, the interesting thing about that, and it's especially interesting for me, is that the Super Meteor Tora can come with an option of hard panniers. And I've kind of decided in my mind, the next bike I get, whenever and if ever that happens, it must have hard panniers. Uh, on my Bonneville, for example, I've got Hepcom Becker panniers. Yes, they're leather, but I pretty much class them as hard panniers. They've got hard construction and they're lockable. I love a bike with hard, lockable panniers. You know, so you get into town or you just park it up for a bit and you can leave it there with a few of your bits and pieces actually locked away and not just zipped shut so anyone can just have a flick through whatever you've got in your panniers. Having lockable panniers, even hard lockable panniers, it's, it's a revelation. So to be able to get that with Royal Enfield, lockable hard panniers, and they look very good. I always find a bike that comes with its own brand panniers built into the bike. It looks better because it's always meant to be there. The bike, the panniers, they were designed with that in mind. I am really tempted by this bike. I think it looks perfect. And I think, although I haven't tested it, I think it will be my personal pick from the range of Royal Enfields. I really do. Look, the standard interceptor is 6,200 pounds. If this can come in, is it a tall order to say, can it come in at 7K or under? Is that a tall order? Look, if it can come in at 7K or below, we're into something that may be completely irresistible pricing-wise. For that level of style, the feel that will give you, the character for under 7K, it's tantalizing. I cannot wait to find out about that. Right, moving on. Ah, okay, this is from JB. Freddie, that was interesting from your German listener last week. This is regarding a German listener uh, to the podcast who couldn't decide what modern classic bike he should buy for his first bike. Well, have a listen to this um, for some input on the Kawasaki Z900 RS. This is something I overlooked a bit, I'll be honest. 
Freddie, I would definitely say the Kawasaki Z900RS has way too much power for a new rider. It's got a lively throttle, big four-cylinder, um, and this can catch new riders out with their throttle wrist, uh, until their throttle wrist matures. The big scrambler from Triumph is a good choice. CB1100 also a great choice. Both heavy, but fine if it's a bigger rider, which... Uh, the German rider absolutely was. I'm so sorry, I've completely forgotten your name from last week. Um, how about, oh, this is interesting. How about a bike you may not have tried, the Moto Guzzi Ordes, which is also a big V7 or V9. Moto Guzzi TT85, you know, I overlooked that. That's very true. And the Triumph Thunderbird. Yeah, I mean, I especially like the Triumph Thunderbird, the gigantic cruiser, but even the old school one's nice, actually. Let me just have a look at this from JB. Specifically, Moto Guzzi Ordes. Let's have a look on Auto Trade or what type of price these are going for. So, Moto Guzzi, I mean, this is not a common bike, so much so that it's not even on Auto Trader. Does it come under a different name? Moto Guzzi Ordes UK Sale. Let's have a look. I think they're so rare that there may not actually be one available. Ah, here we go. Let me try California and see if that makes any difference. Maybe it's the Ordes California. Does that make sense? It's maybe the only, uh, the only option I've got because Ordes does not come up. Well, if it is the California, then I know it. And then I, I know it well. And you can get one of those for... I mean, that is just incredible. You can get a lovely Moto Guzzi California. And JB, I'm sorry if, if this is not the same one, but now I've gone off on a tangent. Moto Guzzi California, you can get these for under £3,000. We could get one. I could get a 2005 one, so I'm going a bit newer. 2005 model with panniers, rear rest, so perfect for two-up cruising, £4,500 with just 16,000 miles on the clock. Four and a half thousand pounds for a 1100 cc motor goodsy with panniers and a backrest that's it's really good value really really good value that's a tempting one and good for bigger riders right have a listen to this i'm carrying on with jb on to riding what we follow in our classic groups, uh, this is with regards to rider etiquette. What do you do if you're riding in a group and there's some faster riders? So with regards to rider etiquette, from JB, what we follow in our classics group is a good etiquette being the group lead sets the pace. The most novice rider goes second to help the leader set pace to suit the second rider and then put your quickest rider at the back, brackets usually me, so they can back off, catch up and pick up any stragglers, plus will overtake to catch up if needed and stops the group dropping off. Trust is essential when sometimes our mates aren't uh, our best bike chums. We figure that out in time. Yeah, putting the fastest ride at the back. You know, this is very important, actually. And something I agree with, because a lot of the time, the person at the back is going to get left, possibly at traffic lights or when filtering through traffic. So having the fastest rider at the back so they can easily catch up and confident to filter and do that makes a lot of sense. JB, thank you for that. 
I move on to Dave from Kentucky, USA. Um, this, this carries on, actually. In fact, no, have a listen to this. Um, Freddie, to me, as long as... Oh, this is with regards to KTM and doing a subscription service. You know, whereby you buy the bike, happens with BMW as well. You buy the motorbike, you have all the bells and whistles, and then a month later, everything gets turned off. If you don't agree to take it, and if you don't pay for those services, so, you know, heated grips could get turned off and a number of other things, you know, rider aids, they could all be switched off. But if you pay for these items, they, they will be kept. You can pick whatever you want to keep from these items, anything you want. So I just jump off my chair. I can hear it creaking nonstop. Jump off the chair, take off the Velcro, and I'll use that. I'm sure that would have been annoying for you otherwise. There we go. Right. So in, in response to this, uh, Freddie, this is from Dave. To me, as long as a buyer knows up front, this is not an issue, but it sure does make old school bikes even more attractive. You know, I'm no fan of EVs, cars and bikes, and would love to return to a more analog way of riding, which is partly or partially why I've got a 2002 Triumph Speed Triple. You know, Dave, this is, um, yeah, this is a very good point because uh, I agree with you with regards to the... I do in general agree with you, um, uh, you know, with the subscription service or at least with picking what you can take and not take. I do buy that argument that you make. I, I softly get both sides of the argument, but I, I definitely understand your point with that. I can't argue with it. With regards to the older bikes, you know, more analogue way of riding and a lot of the time more character... That was quite apparent to me when I tested out the, um, the BMW 900. What's it called? It's the BMW, let me just find it. I, I had it this weekend in Valencia. BMW 900, what would it be, a Naked? What was the name of that bike? There it is. It is the, the F900R. You know, I had that for, for probably about 20 minutes riding. And uh, I found that I had a, a serious lack of any kind of soul or character. For me, you know, give me an old, and I know them well, an old Triumph Speed Triple. You know, it's, it feels purer. It makes me feel something, something over. You know, that brand new, obviously better in every way, but that BMW F900R just didn't give me any kind of feeling at all. You know, you get on one of these old Triumph Speed Triple 1000 cc's, God, you feel something when you're on one of those, 100%. Thank you, Dave. This is from Callum. Okay, hi, Freddie. Uh, I was listening to the podcast where you discussed the KTM and the potential uh, monthly subscription for electric features on bikes. So this is interesting. This got a lot of feedback, this. I originally had the same opinion as you. However, monthly subscriptions could be potentially seen as a big positive. Let's just say... You buy a bike for now. You buy a bike now, fully loaded with all the bells and whistles and fancy, uh, fancy electronic tech, etc. These are taken into consideration in the price. A monthly subscription could allow you to essentially sell back features of the bike that you may not use or deem necessary, lowering the overall cost as such. For example, 
Only paying for heated grips during the winter and reducing your cost by removing them in the summer. It could have potential to bring down costs and add a bit of customization to bikes. Yeah, it's an interesting point, Callum. I'm, I am no fan of a, a subscription service, uh, you know, with monthly overheads. However, I get your point in that there's also something I find quite interesting with this as well, Callum, and it leads very nicely on to this, so thank you for that. Let's say uh, a KTM rider buys his KTM, has it for a thousand miles, and, and realises, you know what, I don't want any of those electronic yada yada X and Y, I don't want any of it. So I'm turning it all off, I'm going back to KTM, just switch it all off, I'm the simplest, cheapest KTM I can possibly buy. Brilliant. Three years later, that rider then decides he wants to sell the bike. I then come onto the market looking for a KTM with all of the bells and whistles. Can I then buy that bike off the gentleman, contact KTM and say, can you turn everything back on with this bike? And you know what else I've just thought about this, Callum? Something else. Is this actually a mind-blowingly good bit of marketing from KTM? Because KTM will then turn everything off on this gentleman's bike when he buys it new. This gentleman may then well sell it back to KTM in two years' time. You can then have 10 different bikers coming into a KTM dealership looking for second-hand KTM with a range of different requirements. Some of them wanting the KTM with all the bells and whistles, some of them wanting it with heated grips, some wanted it with quick shifter, for example, with or with a heated seat. Well, they can spec it, a second-hand bike, exactly how they want. And maybe this could be close to why these motorcycle manufacturers are doing it. I've had a bit of a brainwave here. Is it because actually it means that with resale ability, you know, these second-hand bikes coming back into the likes of KTM, BMW, it means that someone doesn't need to worry, oh, bugger, that's, that's not the spec I wanted, and I really wanted one with heated grips, and I wanted one with a, I don't know, track mode or something like that. Well, now you can have anything you want, anything without question. All KTM or BMW need to do is turn it on and off with the flick of a switch from their system so they can give all used motorcycle prospective buyers exactly the spec motorcycle they want with no issue at all. Hmm. Well, at least it's interesting in my mind. Okay, moving on. Uh, now this is from Nemo. Nemo, I'm sure. Uh, UK, yes, UK, UK. I can see you got a pound sign there. Nemo, thanks for this. Okay, here we go. Hi, Freddie. I must share my disappointment and somewhat fear of what the future of motorcycling holds. I recently went to our KTM dealership to look for a dis, uh, discounted 890R demo. True, it comes, with, it comes fully loaded with every extra. You get a month or a thousand miles to ride before everything software gets disabled pending subscription. BMW also, absolutely absurd. 
you're paying for a bike with all the hardware, it just seems very wrong to me to start charging fees for heated grips or cruise control, etc. I will categorically and out of principle not buy those bikes. I absolutely love my Tracer G, uh, 9 GT and actually waiting for a Yamaha or waiting for Yamaha to unveil the Tenere 900 for a bit of ground clearance and off-road capabilities. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep mine. The prospects of banning in internal combustion engines is getting uh, more realistic every day, knowing fully well that EV bikes are too expensive, not fit for purpose and lack infrastructure. No way on earth we will have a fully ready EV infrastructure in Europe in 10 years time, and that's a fact. In the next year or two, instead of selling our current bikes, that's a Tracer 9, Tracer 7, and a Ducati Scrambler, I will actually start adding reliable internal combustion engine motorbikes in different styles and purposes. New internal combustion engine bikes are absolutely, or sorry, are abysmally expensive. Multistrada V4 for 36, God, is that true? Multistrada, Ducati Multistrada V4 can be 36,000 pounds if fully specced. What? An adventure bike. Imagine dropping and damaging it. Which adventure bike riders do? Now, let me just see that. What's an unspecced Ducati V4? One second. Let me just have a look at this. Ducati V4 UK. Yeah, 24.5, 25K without doing any specking. I mean, my Lord, if you can spec that up to... Yeah, that's eye-watering money, 36K. I mean... 25k without doing any specking you can spend in a multi-strider. You're right, it's gigantic money. It is. Now, my thanks for sending that in. There's actually, uh, uh, there's something I wanted to touch upon because I agree with you. I, we're not going to be ready in, in 10 years' time. And for bikes, I think may even be further, further away than that with regards to electrification. But Tracer 9, uh, let me have a look at prices of these because I had a friend who had one of these and he absolutely raved about it. He said it was an incredible bike. UK sale. Let's see what we've got. Okay, if I go to Auto Trader, these are meant to be very good bikes. And is there a good proposition in the used market for one of these? Because I hear nothing but good things about this. Yamaha Tracer 9, let's have a look. Is it called some funny name or is it actually called the Tracer? Nope, it is Tracer 9 GT. So you've got Tracer 9 GT, Tracer 900 GT. Let's have a look at the Tracer 9 GT. Yeah, no, probably too, too new, too new. 9,300 pounds for a one-year-old Yamaha Tracer 9. Let me just see there, Yamaha Tracer 900 GT. Yeah, that's the older model. You can get that for six and a half K. It's a lot of bike for the money, actually. Okay, I'll move on. Thank you, Nema. Right, from Nick. Okay, oh, okay, this just came in, actually, literally about a second before I was about to start the podcast, but I really wanted to include this got two more bits I want to talk about today. This is the first of two. This literally just came in just before I started. Hi, Freddie. Um, what are your thoughts on changing the, the lights 
handlebars, tank and paint, etc. I've just bought a Royal Enfield Interceptor and I was going to change a few things, but my dad put me off saying that I changed my Bonneville or that you changed your Bonneville back to being original. Is it a waste of money and do you lose money on doing this? Kind regards, Nick. Nick, this is a really, really interesting question that I've got first-hand experience with. In fact, not just my experience, but the experience of friends who have modified their bikes. And I, I welcome someone if someone strongly agrees or even softly agrees with me. So if you agree or disagree, let me know. I'll happily share your views. Here's my opinion on the matter. If you modify your bike, um, you will it will add zero pounds to your bike and often actually it will devalue your bike. So don't modify your bike expecting that you're going to be able to charge a premium for it because you're not. Um, you may well, in fact, you're more likely to reduce the value of your bike than you are increase the value of your bike. I know it from my experience when I've had a few modifications on bikes and I've tried to sell, they, they sell a lot slower and um, people are much more cautious with it. I also had two friends who had two Triumphs. Um, one was a Speed Triple, one was a Speed Twin, both heavily modified or, or moderately to heavily modified and both, both could not sell the bikes for the money they wanted because they were modified, both of them. And it made a big difference because both were immaculate bikes, fully serviced. These guys do not mess about. They only, they only modify their bikes with the finest aftermarket parts and they service their bikes religiously. They're always top-notch, but even they couldn't sell their modified bikes for the price they wanted and the time they wanted because they were modified. Uh, you know, and there, there are many reasons for this, but in general, my opinion is people who go out to buy a motorbike, they want it original. They want it completely original because for one, they know it hasn't been messed around with. And secondly, you know what you're getting with an original bike. I was talking to a mechanic. This was about six months ago or something like that. And he said to me, look, if he has any inkling, any inkling at all, that, for example, the wiring loom has been messed around with because someone's tried modifying their bike, he won't touch it because it's going to open up a can of worms and he could be three to four hours trying to understand someone's DIY attempt at wiring. Similarly, if you take it to a modified bike to a mechanic, you know, a mechanic likes working on a standard motorbike because there are, you know, there are workshop manuals for it. You need to understand the wiring loom. You need to understand what part to buy if it needs a new clutch plate or needs a new X or Y. Well, it's easy on a standard bike because you just go to the original user manual. If you start modifying bits, it's going to be taking a mechanic a lot longer to have any idea what parts you've actually replaced. So if you're buying a bike that's already been modified as a prospective buyer, you're going to have no real idea because these bits do get lost, you know, as, as the years go on and you start forgetting what bit you replaced with what. And it makes things a lot more complicated. So me personally, I do actually like a few subtle mods. I've still got a few subtle mods from Motone on my bike because they're the parts 
that are just screw on screw off parts. It's not messing around with any frame cutting or any uh, wiring loom messing around with. It's just screw off the old part and replace with genuinely a better part. You know, it's genuinely better. These Motone bits, for example, and they do Motone bits, I think for Royal Enfield, so check Motone out. They cost a lot, but I really think if you're going to modify your bike, only replace the bits with better parts and Motone I can, I'd put my name to the fact that Motone parts are better than original parts, whether it's Triumph or Royal Enfield. Um, but don't replace it with bad quality parts. I've done that with my Bonneville and trust me, they may look good in the pictures. They will rust within weeks. Motone, you know, and, and other quality parts, uh, quality, you know, manufacturers, they, uh, they make bits to last. I've never had one bit of rust on anything Motone. It's all the finest quality, you know, anodized uh, aluminium, you know, it, it's better, it's better. And it's screw on, screw off. You know, if it's screw on, screw off stuff, fine, brilliant. But keep the original bits. And my personal opinion, if you care about the resale value, don't mess around with the frame, don't mess around with the wiring. Uh, because standard bikes, standard vehicles will always sell better. One more thing, as an example, I was looking for a Land Rover Defender. Oh, guys, addicted to buying one literally about a month ago. I've since been freaked out by the, the loan overheads, I'll be honest. I only wanted one that was standard because I, I specifically stayed away from anything modified because I don't know what people have done to it. I don't know how many decades of people trying to modify and then, you know, it's, it's almost like a Frankenstein of a vehicle, some of these Land Rovers. And it just freaks, freaks me out because, you know, I could take it to a, a mechanic and he's like, look, I don't understand this because it's almost not a Defender anymore. So, you know, I personally, I always look for standard vehicles when I buy them because I know what I'm getting. Uh, but yeah, Nick, go and check out Motone if, uh, if you do any modifications because I highly recommend them because it's always nice, simple stuff, screw on, screw off, that um, you know, uh, anyone can do. It's nice and easy and it won't, you know, it won't mess up anything uh, deep down on the bike. Uh, and it's extremely satisfying. That's the bottom line. Modifying your bike, if you get the right parts for it, it is very satisfying, um, but just do it with the knowledge that don't go too in depth with cutting or sawing anything and um, it will not increase the value of a bike even by one penny, it will probably decrease it. Right, the final thing from Ireland, Mark. I love this, Mark. This is a great place for me to end. Uh, Freddie, I was thinking it'd be great to mention in your podcast all of the great movies and TV shows um, that have been in the past that have featured motorbikes. For, in, for instance, my favourite movie was Terminator 2 Judgment Day that featured a cool Harley Davidson. Uh, also, do you remember the bike in Dirt Bike Kid? No, see, I don't. I don't even know Dirt Bike Kid, Mark. Maybe I'm embarrassed by that. Apologies. Um, and the famous TV show Chips, Kawasaki, KZP. I never watched it, but I know that one. Um, thanks, Mark. Okay, Mark, I want to... The first thing I want to say, yes, I have so many people saying they got into Harley-Davidson's or they got into biking for exactly the reason you said. Terminator 2 Judgment Day. What was it? It was the Harley-Davidson um, Fat Boy. Harley-Davidson Fat Boy. So many people got into biking for that exact reason. For me, for me, 
my two favourites that really made me think, oh, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Um, you've got the, the wild one, Marlon Brando. Nine, I'm sure that's 1950s. Let me get this up. Wild one, Marlon sure that's 1950s I mean this is a black and white film it, it's ancient but I I highly recommend watch you watch that uh, that's it's actually the bike is a 1949 Triumph Triumph Thunderbird I think Triumph Thunderbird I'm sure let's have a look at that Wild Woman Man and Brando Thunderbird let me see if I'm right with was it the Thunderbird? Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, here we go, here we go. Okay, let's have a look, just scrolling up. Oh, you've got so many. Just going through a... Oh, I've just found the Terminator one. Okay, let me just see if I can find that. Mar here we go, here we go. Here we go, Marlon Brando. It is the Triumph Thunderbird 650. Oh, I, I watched that film, you know what? First time I ever watched Wild One, The Wild One with Marlon Brando, 19, there we go, 1953 film with a 1949 Thunderbird, I believe to the best of my knowledge. I, I was learning to ride and uh, this Irish biker, Tony from B&Q, this kind of, warehouse for building parts where I used to work at the time he said Freddie you got to watch this uh, the wild one with Marlon Brando and I watched this a month before taking my biking test or, or like two weeks before maybe and it was just for me just one of the coolest things I've ever seen and and that that is one of the the key films that got me into the, that classic old style bikes you know the triumphs the Harley Davidson's just watching, you know, this black and white film with this gang of bikers, you know, those classic, well, we call it the Brando style jacket. In fact, I mean, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so pathetic and so easily influenced. I actually watched that film and that's why I've got my Brando style jacket that I've had for 11 years, like the first biking jacket I ever had that I still got. So if you ever see me in the black leather jacket, first leather jacket I had, it, I got it after watching that film. It's just, Oh, that's what these films do. It's brilliant. Also for me, The Great Escape, Steve McQueen, the triumph that he had in that. You know, I remember watching that film as a child and just watching that race away from the Nazis. Just thinking that is just, well, it's freedom. It's a beautiful looking bike, you know, racing along those, where was it? Was it the Austrian hills? Uh, I think Austrian or somewhere around there, but just seeing that triumph whizzing along, you know, and then doing the jump at the end. Those types of films, they, they do a huge amount to get people into biking. I want to end on two things here. There are two bikes I want to search for to end, for a little bit of food for thought for you, for the fast upcoming winter season, just so you can um, have a few nice searches. Number one, Let's have a look at, where is it? The, the Harley Davidson Fat Boy. I want to see what the prices are of these because for a lot of people, this is, you know, the, the childhood dream bike. Well, what's, 
what's the reality of this? Let me just see if I can find uh, the exact year. So it would have been the 1991 Harley Davidson Fat Boy. Okay, so I'll start on AutoTrader. Harley Davidson, uh, you know, I'm not going to put anything else. I'm just going to do Harley Davidson. And then at the bottom, I'll write Fat Boy. How cheap can we get it? Now, it was a 1991 model. It doesn't need to be 1999 for me. And 1991 for me. I just want to know how cheap can I get a fat boy? Hmm. Okay, year 2000 model. You know, to the untrained eye, i.e. mine could be brand new. 2000 model, Harley Davidson fat boy. 1,450cc, 68 horsepower, 58,000 miles, healthy mileage there, 6,950 pounds. You know, you can get your childhood dream motorbike for 6,950 pounds and it still looks brilliant. I'm going to do one more thing here. Facebook Marketplace. Let's type this in. Harley Davidson. Fat boy, can I get a very quick search here? Harley, that's cheaper. Because we all know Facebook Marketplace is the new eBay. Category. Okay, category. Okay, let's keep it at that. Is there anything that comes up? Okay. Well, there's one that immediately flashes up to me. First one, it's £8,500. And you may say, yes, that's, that's more expensive. But, 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 this is for a, a four-year-old Harley-Davidson fat boy. You can get a, on, this is why Facebook's so good sometimes. 2018 Harley-Davidson fat boy with 10,000 miles on the clock, good condition, but in fact, as good as new, they're saying here, as good as new for the 1,868cc full service history, stage one tuned, detachable sissy bars, cruise control, two key fobs, front end levers, Bassini turnout exhaust, owned from new, excellent condition, it really is pristine. Someone who's been on Facebook for 12 years, so they're going to be legit. It looks stunning. And it's a 2018 model. You can actually get a four-year-old model for £8,500. These are the bargains that are available on Facebook if you just have a look. You know, you can get a 2018 model, which is a full 18 years newer than the one I found on AutoTrader. 18-year newer bike, and it costs just £1,500 more than the year 2000 model. Two things that shows. Facebook Marketplace is a treasure trove. Uh, there are hidden treasures everywhere. Not even hidden treasures. There are treasures everywhere there. If you're willing to flick through stuff that's not quite relevant. Uh, and the value of Harley-Davidson's. They hold their value ludicrously well. Buy one and you will not lose any money on it. And I want to end with one, one more thing here. <coughs> Excuse me. Right. Let's say 
Let's say the Royal Enfield Super Meteor comes in at £7,000. Let's just say that for sake of argument. It's my wild guess as to what it may come in at. Uh, and the reason Royal Enfield are doing so well, the pricing is amazing. The looks of these bikes are stunning. Really incredibly old school, brilliant looking bikes. It's all mechanical. It's all, you know, vibration. It's feel. Um, and I can't help but kind of hark back, feel back to, you know, the Harley Davidson Sportster, the 883. You know, the, this is a bike, I've ridden one, this is a bike with proper character as well, you know, like the, like the Royal Enfields. And these bikes are going to be getting more and more appealing now as bikes, that, you know, they're getting smoother, they are losing a bit of character maybe as they get newer. You know, look at the new Harley Davidson range, I'm sorry, but... The, I cannot believe that, you know, the Nightster, for example, the new Nightster has the same character as those old, those old air-cooled Harleys. So, my, this is my question. What can I get Harley-Davidson 883cc Sportster-wise for less than the price of a Royal Enfield Super Meteor? You know, these old Harley-Davidson Sportsters, you get all of the looks, you get all of the character of the Meteor, you get the name Harley-Davidson. How cheap can you get it? Because this is, a, for me, quite a, an interesting, relevant comparison. You know, you can, you can be looking at a 2006 model here, and I'm not even on Facebook Marketplace. Bear in mind, I'm looking through dealers on Autotrader, so you'll be able to get it for significantly cheaper than this. But just by doing some very, very casual searching on Autotrader, you know, I found a Harley Davidson Sportster 883cc, £4,190. Stunning looking bike. Uh, there is another 2006 Sportster, £4,300. All in black. Stunning looking machine, 883cc, 24,000 miles on the clock. It's a head turning bike. You know, with an 883cc engine, and it's, you know, you're going to be paying four grand, knock a couple of hundred off, £4,000 for such a good-looking bike. I really think these types of bikes, and it will be driven largely by Royal Enfield in the Super Meteor, but I think these, these classic, characterful cruisers, old-school bikes, they're going to be getting ever more popular, and... The time right now for the Royal Enfield Super Meteor is the perfect time to come back along because people are, for me, craving that bit of character, you know, that really, that bit of character. And I understand it more than ever after riding some of these stunning bikes over the weekend, how important character is in bikes. You know, if you're looking for a bike over the winter, you could go a, a, a lot more wrong and looking at one of these old Sportsters, 883, four grand. You're not going to go wrong with that. You're not going to lose a penny. Right, I'll wrap it up there. I've, I think I've waffled this week. So much waffling. Go and check out XL Moto for their, their black November sale. Really, I've, I've been checking it all week. There are, I promise you, ridiculously good sales going on at the moment. Thanks, everyone, for listen, listening. Have a fantastic week. And I'll speak to you all in the next one.